Chapter Five of the Place Beyond the Winds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Place Beyond the Winds, by Harriet Teresa Comstock, Chapter Five. Mrs. McAdam of the Whitefish Lodge came out upon the village green one evening in late August and, in a loud voice, hailed Jerry McAlpin. "'I've heard it said,' called she, "'that you, you, Jerry McAlpin, "'are not against the taking away of my license, "'not against the making of Kenmore a teetotal town.' "'There was menace in the high-pitched voice, "'warning in the accusation. "'But Jerry had not taken a drop to drink "'since his self-releasement from jail "'after an apology from Hornby, "'and he was uncannily clear-headed. "'I've said that same,' he replied, "'and stopped short in his walk.' Two or three other men, followed by dogs, paused to listen. Then a boat, coming in loaded with fish, tied up to the wharf, and the crew, leaning over the sides, waited for developments. "'And for why?' called Mary, hands on hips and her sharp eyes blazing. "'For this. The drink turns us mad. I'm late finding it out, but I found it. It sent me to jail with my wits all afire. My boy drank that night.' drank like a young beast, and lay on the floor of the cabin, they tell me, after I went away, and he only sixteen, and his dead uncle stark there beside him for company. By this time a goodly gathering was on the green, and Mary was in her element. And so, she said calmly, waxing eloquent as her power grew, you and the like of you would take an honest woman's living from her, and she a God-be-praised widow at that, because you can't control the beast in yourselves, and can't train the cubs of your kennels this was going to great lengths and many a listener who sided with mary was chilled by her offensive words come come warned hornby the father of the recently lured jamesy they mean exactly womanly terms are they but mary was on her high horse availing herself of the safety her sex secured for her she struck left and right without grace or favor and her audience gaped while they listened oh i know "'Tis this year a dry town with me ruin, "'and it's next year a wet town with McAlpin, Hornby, "'or another creature in trousers taking my place, "'and after that there will be no more dry town for ever and ever. "'It's not morals you're after, but a man-controlled tavern. "'Blast ye!' "'A sneer marked Mary's thin dark face. "'You want your drinks and your freedom, "'but you say you fear for your lads. "'Shame on you! "'Have I no lads? "'Silence!' Have I not trained them in the way they should go? Do I fear for them? A grave silence, and McAlpin glared at Hornby, while an irreverent youth, with a fish dangling from his hands, laughed and muttered, Like Gorham's. Play a man's part, Jerry McAlpin. Tis not for Jerry Joe you fear. It's my business you get from me, and you know it. Teach that lad of yours to be decent, as I've trained mine. I have no fear for my boys. I know what I'm talking about, and I tell you now, if my lads were like yours, I'd fling the business over, but I don't see why a decent woman, and her a God-be-praised widow, should lose her living because you can't train your brats in the way they should go. But this is mine. If you don't stand by me and swear to do it here and now, it's not another drink one of you shall get in my place till after things are settled. This was going farther than Mary McAdam had ever gone before. She had threatened dire restrictions against them who failed to support her cause 
should her cause be won in spite of them. She had even hinted at cash payments to ensure her against want if, possibly, her license was revoked, but this shutting down upon human rights before election came off was upsetting to the last degree. Hornby looked at McAlpin, and McAlpin dropped his eyes. There was a muttering and a grumbling, and a general feeling prevailed that every man should be his own keeper and the guardian of his own sons, and it would be a bitter wrong against a God-be-praised widow to let family affairs ruin her business. In the end, Mary McAdam, with a manly following of stern upholders of individual rights and the opportunity for mutual good fellowship, retired to the bar of the Whitefish and, waited upon by Mary herself and her two exemplary sons, made Mary far into the evening. Tom and Sandy McAdam, handsome, carefree boys of sixteen and eighteen, passed the drinks with many a jest and often a wink, but never a drop drank they, not until the lodge had closed its doors on all visitors, and then Tom, the elder, with a final leer at Sandy, the younger, drained off a glass of bad whiskey with a grace that betokened long practice hold there cautioned sandy filling a glass of beer for himself you'll not be able to hide it from the mother you galoot oh the night's long before the day breaks and it's yourself as must take the turn at house chores the morning the following day was cloudy and threatening and why mary mcadam should take that time for suggesting that her boys go over to wyland island and by their winter suits she herself could not have told perhaps from the assurance of last night she felt freer with money perhaps she thought the boys could not be spared so well later be that as it might she insisted even against sandy's remark that a lad couldn't put his mind to a winter outfit with the sweat rolling down his back that they should set forth by eleven o'clock make a lark of it said she generously take that scapegoat jerry joe mcalpin with you and have it out with him about being a young beast and worrying the heart out of old jerry who means well but ain't got no kind of a headpiece take your lunch along and here she pointed her remarks with a lean commanding finger you take that sail off the launch it's quiet enough now but it ain't going to last forever and i couldn't rest with three flighty lads in a boat with a sail and an engine Mrs. McAdam always expected to be obeyed. Her personality was such that she generally was, but always, when disobedience followed, it was hidden from her immediate attention, and she was never one to show the weakness of watching to see her orders carried out. That was why she, of all the people in the little village, did not realize that her boys often drank more than was good for them, always managed, by clever devices, to escape her eye. A glass of harmless stuff now and again, she would say with a toss of her head. What's that but a proof of the lads' self-control? That's what I'm a-telling you. Make your lads strong and self-respecting. Tom did not take the sail from the boat that day, neither did he expect to use it. He furled it close and shipped it carefully, but it was late, and, in the last hurry, he kept his mother's caution in mind, but did not carry out her command. Then Sandy, when they were about to start, did a bold thing stealing into the bar he took a bottle of whiskey and a bottle of brandy these he hid under his reefer and with a laugh at his own cunning put into the empty places on the shelves two partly filled bottles and ran to the wharf mary mcadam waved them a farewell from the steps 
she had packed the hamper and stowed it under the very sail she had ordered off in the excitement of preparation she overlooked it entirely you sandy see to it that you buy a suit that you won't repent when the winter nips you she called and you tom get a quiet color and no checks when your last year's suit shrank and the squares got crooked you looked like a damaged checkerboard jerry joe mcalpin from his seat in the stern roared with laughter at this and just then the sturdy little engine puffed thudded and caught on and off went the three with loud words of good-bye the channel was as smooth as a summer brook and the launch shot ahead it's a bit chilly sandy said as they neared the mouth opening at flying point into the little bay put on your storm coat cautioned tom and you too jerry joe we'll get the wind when we pass dreamer's rock and strike the big bay the boys got out their coats and put them on and then sandy said see what i've got snitched it from under the mother's eye too he held up the bottles tom laughed but jerry joe reached out for one a nip will ward off the coal better than a coat he said they all three indulged in this preventive beyond dreamer's rock the wind fulfilled tom's prophecy it was not a great wind but it was a steady one and perhaps because the whiskey had warmed tom's blood too hastily and hotly he grew reckless what do you say fellows to eating our lunch and then trying sail and engine together we could beat the record and surprise folks by our time and coming and going the wind's safe not a puff what do you say jerry joe was something of a coward but by the time he had eaten his lunch and washed it down with more whiskey than he had meant to take he was ready to handle the sail himself and proceeded to do so little bear island was the last one before the entrance to big bay and when the launch passed that either the wind had changed or tom at the engine and jerry joe at the sail had lost nerve and head for the boat became unmanageable sandy keeping to the exact middle of the boat called to jerry joe to lower the sail but jerry joe did not hear or failed to clearly comprehend the little craft shot ahead like an arrow but tom knew that when they went about there would be trouble they were fully a mile from either rock-bound shore wyland island was a good two miles before them and home seven miles to the rear a biggish sea was rolling and the sky was clouding threateningly the liquor had done its worst for the boys it had unnerved them while at the same time it had given them a mad courage keep straight ahead shouted tom until we get near shore and then pull in that infernal sail what happened just then jerry joe could never tell and he alone remained at the day's end for the telling they were in the water all three of them for a moment jerry joe thoroughly sobered and keener witted than he had ever been before in his life believed he was the only one of the party ever again to appear in that angry sea then he saw the overturned boat heard the last sobbing pants of the engine as it filled with water then tom's black head and agonized face appeared then sandy's red head they all made for the boat and the wide sail lying flat in the water they reached the launch chilled and desperate climbed upon it and gazed helplessly at each other through chattering teeth they tried to speak but only a moan escaped tom's blue lips the wind was colder the sun had gone behind a bank of dull storm clouds after a long while sandy looking over the expanse of ugly choppy waves shuddered and panted it's going to be dark soon it can't be more than a half mile to yonder rock i'm for swimming to it once on land we can move about 
get our blood going, and perhaps find a sheltered spot till morning. Tom looked at his brother vaguely. He was suffering keenly. Don't be a fool, he shuddered. Jerry Joe, huddled in a wet heap, was sobbing like a baby, gone utterly to pieces. Another hideous space of silence followed. Then Sandy spoke again. I'm going to make the try. I'm dying of cold. It's the only chance for any of us. Here goes. And before anyone could interfere, he made his leap and was in the water, a bobbing speck among the ugly white caps. Good God! That was all Tom said, but his crazed eyes were upon that strained, uplifted face. Jerry Joe ceased his moaning and laughed. It was a foolish cackle, such as a maniac might give, mistaking a death struggle for a bit of play. He's a good swimmer, he gasped, and laughed again. Tom turned for an instant, wondering eyes upon him. He may have, in that moment, estimated his own chance, his duty to Jerry Joe, and his determination to be with his brother. The perplexed gaze lasted but the briefest space of time, and then with, All right, here goes, he was making for Sandy with a strength born of despair and madness. Come back, shrieked Jerry Joe, with the frenzy of one deserted and too cowardly or helpless to follow. Come back! But neither swimmer heard nor heeded. For a moment more, the black and the redheads bobbed about, the faces turned toward each other grimly. Even in that waste and at the bitter last, the sense of companionship held their thought. Jerry Joe, rigid, and every sense at last alert in an effort for self-preservation, saw Sandy's smile. It was a wonderful smile. It was like a flash of sunlight on that black sea. Then Sandy's lips moved, but no one was ever to know what he said. And then, Jerry Joe was alone in the coming night and the rolling waves. They should, said Mary McAdam, be home by seven at the latest. The wind's with them coming back. It was with them part of the way going. Anton Farwell sat on the steps of the lodge, his dogs peacefully lying at his feet. All day, since hearing of the boy's trip, he had been restless and anxious. Farwell had his bad hours often, but he rarely permitted himself companionship at such times. But today, after his noon meal, he had been unable to keep away from the lodge. Fall setting in early, Mrs. McAdam went on. Pickerel come, whitefish go. Beasts and fish and birds can a lot, Mr. Farwell. They certainly do. The more you live with them creatures, the more you are impressed with that. Is that Sandy's dog, Mrs. McAdam? A yellow, lank dog came sniffing around the side of the house and lay down, friendly-wise, by Farwell. Yes, and he's a cute one. Do you believe me, Mr. Farwell? That there bounder knows the engine of our boat. Any other boat can come into the channel, and he don't take any notice. But let my boys be out late, and bounder, lying asleep on the floor will start up at the chugging of the launch and make for the dock. He never makes a mistake. Farwell laughed and bent over to smooth Bounder's back. What time is it? he asked. Six-thirty, Mary replied with alarming readiness. Six-thirty and the clock's a bit slow at that. Farwell felt sure it was a good ten minutes slow, but because of that he turned the conversation. Jerry McAlpin was telling me today, he said in his low pleasant voice, of how he and others used to smuggle liquor over the border. Jerry seems repenting of his past. Mary laughed and shrugged her shoulders. My man and Jerry, with old Michael McAlpin, were the freest of smugglers. In them days, the McAlpins wasn't pestered with feelings. They was good sports. 
Jerry marrying that full breed had it taken out of him somewhat. She was a hifty one. Them Indians never can get off their high heels, not the full breeds. But I tell you, Mr. Farwell, and you take it for truth, when Jerry begins to model about repentance, it's just before a debauch. I know the signs. Just then, Bounder raised his head and howled. None of that. Off with yer, shouted Mary, making for the dog with nervous energy. Once, she went on, her lips twitching. My man and Michael McAlpin had a good one on the officers. They had a big load of the stuff on the cart, and were coming down the road back of the Far Hill Place, when they sensed the custom men in the bushes. What do they do but cut the traces and lick the horses into a run? Then they turned the barrels loose, jumped off, letting them roll down the hill, and they themselves made for safety. It was only a bit more trouble to go back in a week's time and gather up the barrels, those government devils followed the horses like idiots and felt mighty set up when they overtook them but when they saw they had only the horses oh good lord farwell laughed absently his eyes were fixed on the water even in the channel it had an angry look the current was set from the bay and the stream rose and fell as if it had an ugly secret in its keeping mrs mcadam he said suddenly i'm going out to-to meet the boys god save you mr farwell for which when mary fell into that form of speech she was either troubled or infuriated i'm restless i feel like a fling come on you scamps to his dogs get home and keep house till i come back his dogs leaped to him and then made for the green without another word farwell walked to his launch at the foot of the wharf steps and prepared for his trip a black wave of fear enveloped mary mcadam she was overcome by a certainty of evil and when farwell's boat had disappeared she strode to the green and gave vent to her anxiety there were those who comforted those who jeered but the men were largely away on fishing business and the women and boys were more interested in her excitement than they were in her cause for fear it was eight o'clock and very dark when dr ledyard driving down from farhill place for the mail paused to listen to mrs mcadam's expressions of anxiety young dick travers was beside himself and mary's words held him was jerry joe with your boys mrs mcadam he asked he was that and jerry joe always brings ill luck on a trip i should have known better than to let the half-breed scamp go twas pity as moved me jerry joe is one as thinks rocking a boat is spirit and yelling for help when no help is needed a rare joke the young devil dr ledyard and dick stayed on after getting the mail a strange tense feeling was growing in the place mary's terror was contagious if the men would only come back moaned the distracted mother i'd send the lot of them out after the young limbs at eight thirty the storm broke a dull thick storm which had used most of its fury out beyond flying point and in the breast of the sullen wind came the sound of an engine panting panting in the darkness that was shot by flashes of lightning and rent by thunderclaps mary mcadam gazed petrified at bounder who had followed her to the green why don't yer yelp she muttered giving the dog a kick but bounder blinked indifferently as the coming boat drew near and nearer every boy woman and child with the old men and lazy young ones were at the wharf when the launch emerged from the darkness some one was standing up guiding the boat ready to protect it from violent contact some one was huddled on the floor of the boat someone who made no cry did not look up the two were all 
just then a lurid flash of lightning seemed to photograph the scene forever on the minds of the onlookers ledyard with dick was close to the boat when it touched the dock by the lurid light of electricity the face of the man in the launch rose sharply against the darkness and for one instant shone as if to attract attention farwell was known by reputation to the doctor he had probably been seen by him many times but certainly his face had never made an impression upon him before but now in the hour of anguish and excitement it held ledger's thought to the exclusion of everything else who where the questions ran through his mind and then because every sense was alert he knew jerry joe dick was calling where are the others it was a mad question but the boy huddling in the launch replied quiveringly gone gone to the bottom off dreamer's rock then he began to whimper piteously a shuddering cry rang out it was mary mcadam who followed by her dog ran wildly apron overhead toward the white fish lodge farwell casting all reserve aside worked with ledger over the prostrate cherry joe the recognition was no shock to him he had always known ledger had cleverly kept from his notice heretofore but now the one thing he had hoped to escape was upon him and he grew strangely indifferent to what lay before he obeyed every command of the doctor as they sought to restore jerry joe more than once their eyes met and their hands touched but the contact did not cause a tremor in either man when the inevitable arrives a strength accompanies it nature rarely deserts either friend or foe at the critical moment end of chapter five recording by nancy cochran gergen gilbert arizona